proud of you, Stomp. You're you're uh, expanding your uh, your podcast skills here. So looking forward to it. Um, moving on to the next one here, Stomp. I love that you found the story. So we've been talking about cheating. So we got yes, Miss yes. USA cheating scandal. We've got chess. We've got fishing. Um, we had one other one I can't even remember, but now we have cornhole. My favorite summertime drinking a beer, hanging out with my friends game. Cornhole, the World Cornhole Championships is rigged. Shame. 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 Can you believe it? Shame. It's the apocalypse. Um, these guys Shame. that are like the world champion cornhole. I don't understand why they have to cheat. Shame. Like these guys, I watch these videos and these guys like all like can perfectly throw it anywhere they want. Like it's Shame. to the point where the only thing that Shame. they can do to make it more challenging is to spread the cornhole boards out another 25 feet. But Shame. apparently they're like using lighter bean bags or something. I don't know how that works, but yes. whatever. I have no idea weighted. Yeah, yeah, I would assume so. It's yeah. bizarre, but yeah. But anyway, controversy in the world of cornhole. <laughs> Nothing is pure. What is pure? What is left? I have Nothing. no idea. If you can if if there's money involved and it's an activity, people will cheat. Twenty twenty two. Yes, the blood blood red moon election apocalypse night. Yeah, yeah. I'm sick, so like Yeah. I'm I'm doing this for the audience. Like they, <laughs> nobody appreciates me, but I'm here for you audience people. <laughs> You're on your death's bed. Oh my god. Oh I, my got the, god. I think I got the Vegas flu or something. I cut oh. something in Vegas. Jeez. Yeah, I mean I'm glad you're here, but this is sort of rough. <laughs> yeah, it's not COVID. It's not COVID. It's, I, I tested already, but I don't know what it is. So. Huh. But I'm doing this because I'm a, I'm a hero. And, <laughs> and I'm a zero. I, I, yeah, I don't bail on stuff. So, so Stomp, I want you to answer for your crime. So first of all, you weren't there last week, so explain yourself there. And then there's another crime that I was I was going to make you answer for last week. Wow. But you weren't here, so I, we'll hold on that one for a minute. Okay, sure. Well, uh, as everybody probably knows, I have like 300 jobs I'm working right now. Virtual PT, PT. I also work for a contractor in the uh, resort town of Lincoln, New Hampshire. So what is happening right now, we were actually working on Lahoots, like the big old Lahoots building with the gondola in the front. And... It's crunch time for all the contractors. So I, I do a couple days a week there uh, for these guys. They're great guys. Um, actually, want to have them in sometime or another. So long story short, crunch time, have to get the job done, working past sunset, end of story. I just could not get out of it. We've been working weekends and everything. It's been nuts. So it's, just, it's an interesting time for contractors up here in the 
resort towns when the snow's coming and everything else. So that's that's my excuse. Yeah, well, Rebecca came in and did an awesome job, so she covered for you. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Thank you, Rebecca, for helping out. And um, I'm wicked upset that I didn't get to talk to Jake and Julie because I met them at the 100K, and they were super cool, really nice people. And I loved listening to this story. I think you guys um, killed it that night, so it was good. Good story. Yeah, yeah, they were great. They were great. So Yeah, weird um, night, huh? Yeah, yeah, weird night, but it is uh, what it is. Happened. Exactly. I missed you. But um, next crime that you need to answer for, Stomp, is uh, a couple of shows ago, you pulled an article talking about how, like, electric batteries lose their, like, um, oh, for the evening, lose like cause. half of their, um, effectiveness when it's like cold weather or going up hills or wind or whatever. The, yeah. the electric car mafia came for you, Stomp. I got at le- I think I got three people that were like, that that article's garbage and I drive a Tesla and I've been driving a Tesla and you can charge it anywhere in New Hampshire and Stomp doesn't know That's what he's awesome. talking about. So That's um, awesome. So anyway, I guess if you have a Tesla, New Hampshire has a very good infrastructure for charging Teslas. I know that like at the hooks at um the hooks at rest area like I see them all lined up there because I've always take a picture because I stop and get gas and then there's the sunrise usually and then my sunrise pictures always have that dumb Tesla charger station right in front of them but yeah. anyway the electric vehicle mafia is coming for you Stomp oh I'm shaking in my my boots I'm shaking yep. oh so. my god I don't know I'm sorry people but it's it's just too faddish for me it really is I mean the inf- infrastructure is still early um, I mean if this is truly about like climate change, uh, I mean, come on. There's a gentler way to go about it. I can't afford to buy a forty to sixty thousand dollar car at this point. So I mean, everything everything that's happening right now is just so rapid and crazy. Yeah, the yeah, changes are happening. But it, yeah, rapidly. Um, so that never works out well when you rush things. There's a lot of other side issues with the battery thing, but hey. These are personal experiences for people out in cold, higher altitude mountains. So, I don't know. I'm not ready for an electric vehicle yet. I know a few friends that have had them. I know people that have Teslas that love them. Um, so, I mean, to each their own. Well, the other the other part of that conversation was that there isn't enough mineral capacity for these things. So that was the other side of that argument, and that's a finished study that came out. We're just bringing it up because. Batteries do have uh, an environmental impact. You know, you got to dump them. They don't last in the cold. So, end of story. It's not cut and dry. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Like, and especially like the biggest issue I have is like the wind farms. Like, I hate those like um, the wind uh, turbines that are up on top of like by Lost River and all that stuff. So, I just hope that yeah. they don't keep adding any more of those in the area. But, but yeah. anyway, stop. Moving on. It is your birthday coming up, so you're going to be 54. And I know <laughs> that probably explains like you, why you don't like change. But um, we got a lot going on. We got election day today. Your birthday's coming up. We had the blood moon. Can you explain what a blood moon is? And did you see the blood? moon the the color of the moon becomes a darker red hue and um unfortunately <coughs> oh are you okay are you still with us i forgot to mute i, I don't care if you mute that's fine yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i want this to that. be re- like reality podcasting yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately i woke up yeah see this is the day after the blood moon this is election day <clears throat> so i woke up at 
one in the morning because I was so excited about seeing this thing. And, you know, Mrs. Stump and I were talking about hiking up to Welch and trying to see it from there. And by like nine o'clock at night, it was right above a house. So it was obvious that it was going to be beyond us by 645, I think, was the peak of the eclipse. So unfortunately, I was up at, I don't know, two in the morning, nothing. You know, it was really disappointing. And then, then I see people like uh, Mr. Gilbert posting his beautiful pictures that he took. And uh, anyway, long story short, missed it. But it'll be back in 2025. Yeah, right? yeah. And the blood moon, apparently, it's like it's the sun, then the earth, then the moon. So basically, the earth yeah. blocks out the sun and turns like the moon red. Yeah, like an overlay. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it is election day, Snob. So I was on um, on the internet and there was a couple of, I think it was on Reddit that I was on where there was people posting signs. Like one guy had um, put a bunch of signs asking people to vote for Bigfoot in the area, which is pretty <laughs> and like, funny. Like the legit legend Bigfoot? Yeah. You know, and I feel like New Hampshire has this more than Massachusetts, but like it seems like in New Hampshire, it's acceptable to just put like 27 different signs of political candidates pretty much anywhere. Like, I don't think people care if you put them on the side of the road, even if it is private property. So yeah. this one guy put in like a a couple of signs that said, vote for Bigfoot. And then mm-hmm. I saw another sign that said, I bought a sign. That's <laughs> all it just said. That's so mixed in with like the political signs. So yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. So just making fun of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, this yeah, morning. Exactly. I mean, did you vote this morning or this afternoon? Or I went uh, this afternoon, a little bit. Like I, I left work a little early to uh, to go to the poll with my wife. Gotcha. And you infected everybody? Did you have your N95 mask on? No, no, I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I, I tested for COVID. I didn't have it, so I was just. I'll give everyone the flu. I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> this morning we voted at the. Thornton School, and um, I was there super early because I was up super early, so I had nothing better to do. And then not a huge crowd. I was in and out within five minutes, which is fantastic. Interesting times. Yeah, this is a, a huge day. Yep. It really is. According to my neurotic Facebook friends, like this is like the the end of life as we know it. If you don't get out there and vote, and meanwhile, like I see you put on here, um, your takeaway is that there's five states that have pot initiatives on the ballot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know a lot of our listeners probably partake of the yes. hoochie coochie which I don't personally but I thought that was interesting I just threw it in there but uh, yeah. th- here's the start of my day I had to go to the gas tank and this is this is a motivator and I think it's a motivator for most of the country I filled my tank before I went to the, the polling booth and that was a huge factor so you know there's a lot of big issues that people have to deal with today um, and pot isn't one of them for me but uh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's like Missouri, <laughs> North Dakota, Arkansas, maybe Arizona or whatever. So we'll see. Yeah, I get more and more states that you can uh, you can legally smoke. I don't know if New Hampshire's one of them. Maybe I thought New Hampshire was one of them, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. We'll have to. It's just not we'll my have thing. To find out. I'm not into it either. So um, next up here is we had an earthquake in Lake Winnesquam. So this was a 2.3 earthquake on the Richter scale stomp. Did you feel it? I did not, but I mean, speaking of the apocalypse, this is just another sign that it's definitely over for sure. This could be the last podcast for us. You you're you're on your deathbed, earthquakes, blood moon. I mean, what else what else do we have? 
I don't know. Bear attack. Know. A bear is going to come. I did. <laughs> yeah, no bear attack. But I did do a little bit of research, and there is a couple. Of, there was a there was an earthquake in 1638 that was in the same area that was supposedly like a a six or a seven on the Richter scale. I don't know how are they how are they able to judge that. Hmm. Um, 1638. But, yeah, that's a good question. 1638, and then there was another uh, earthquake in my area near uh, Cape Ann in Gloucester in the 1700s. That was a pretty significant earthquake. But um, I think though they said the 1638 was the second most powerful earthquake in the northeast region of North America. There was another one that happened about 40 years later up in Canada that was more powerful. And then this one that happened in the Cape Ann was like the third most powerful. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could get an earthquake that could do some damage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I believe there's a fault line that runs north to south through the region, which would explain things. And we, we're also on a, of an old volcano. Isn't that the whole Sunapee loop or what, what ranges encompass Ossipi. that? Ossipi. Ossipi it range. Is. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so we're primed for it. Great, great. That's. Can I just get over my sickness first, please, before we have the next thing? Um, Stump, you put in some info here on uh, some beer feedback from listeners. So what's this all about? People have been commenting about the beer comments, and I, I think the first thing to say is that usually you and I are just out there to poke fun at things, and we say things in jest, but some folks actually take some information that we put out there uh, pretty seriously, and I totally get it. So we got some information from somebody um, regarding strategies if you did come into a beer, and this is like a total spur issue. I mean, we just touch upon it here and there almost just, just for fun. But that being said, this individual directed me to somebody that has raised beer cubs in the wild, um, and there's an actual agency that is right here in New Hampshire that deals with bear cubs and whatnot. So there's a professional that I've reached out to uh, based upon this person's recommendation to see if we can't get somebody on to, to actually talk about what are the strategies if you did come in contact with a bear or a cub or whatever. So uh, just to keep you posted on that. Yeah, and we're going to have to go back into the old episodes and scrub any references I've ever made about throwing Snickers bars at the bear if they come too close and running. <laughs> I know. I mean, theoretically, it does make sense. Maybe well, it's just a millisecond distraction, but... I mean, you're killing the bear, basically, is what you're doing. Because if, you do, do, if you go that route, a fed bear is a dead bear. So if you condition a bear to accept food true. from a human... I don't think there's much going back from there once you condition them. So you don't want to do that. But, yeah. you know, I say it jokingly as a, as a last resort because I think about these videos that you see on YouTube where the bear will not stop following you. And, you know, at a certain point, if, you've, if, you've, if you're getting that nervous and you want to buy yourself some time. Yeah, right. That's a good point. You know, it seems like it would make sense, but it could just be that you're, you know, you get the beer more riled up or whatever. But this place is interesting. It it basically focuses on um, beer that they're going to rehabilitate and send back out into the wild, which is amazing. So it's, there's no human interaction, very little human interaction at, with this place. They basically are focused on setting up 
um, a return to the wild for these Cubs. Yeah. So we'll see. I have, have not heard back yet, but we could hear something soon. Great. Yeah. Um, and then moving on, your, our friend Cheswick just finished his Great Western Loop Trail. So 197 days and 11 hours, I think. This was like 3,000 miles or something crazy, right? Oh, yeah. Way up there. But he had the experience of the deep snow up in the northwest, and it's going to be a hell of a story. Cheswick joined us for an episode before he left, and I did touch base with him, and he wants to come back on to tell us the deep dive story on what he experienced. Can you imagine that? He, I remember he was doing like 30-mile days. Crazy. Yeah, incredible. And he did it. He was injured towards the end of his last one, isn't that the story? I think so, yeah. I think he had to be ill because of that. Exactly. Yeah. So keep a lookout. We'll be uh, touching base. There's a lot of people all of a sudden just popping up for potential revisits. Like Ken Bossy has a new book coming out and um, talked recently to Jack Daly, who's going to give and, and Colonel Ninnis. I mean, there's a lot of folks that want to give us an update on what's going on in their lives and uh, in the community. So it's going to be a, an exciting winter season for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I got to reach out to um, our friend Matt too, who had done the PCT with his wife. Yeah, he didn't end up. Com- he didn't end up finishing it. Like they, I think they made it through California, and then his wife decided to get off trail. They had a vehicle, so she was kind of supporting him for a while in Oregon, or maybe they went up to Washington and flipped. There was some issue with like fires or something. Yeah, and he was he was cool for a while. He was like, "Oh, this is great." You know, she's supporting me and I'm doing the day hiking, whatever. And then I think eventually they just said, screw it. And they started like touring around and like going to the Goonies house and all this other cool stuff. So he was kind of like, you know, I've done the AT. I've done, I did California. We did like a ton of miles and we just decided that we didn't weren't into the end of it. So Hmm. didn't finish, but doesn't really matter because he had a great time. Right, right. Yeah, I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, good stuff. Very good. Um, all right. So then we've got a another article here, Stomp, with the evolutionary postural change ahead with um, these researchers went and figured out what our bodies are going to look like, <laughs> given the fact that we're all addicted to our cell phones. So you want to talk about well, this? Yeah, well, it, it's sort of silly. I mean, it's a brief little takeaway. It looks like somebody that has a really heavy backpack on and you take the backpack off after like a thousand years and they're hunched backed rounded shoulders forward head and their right hand is clenched towards their face with gripped claws so it's it's sort of funny i mean there's plenty of research and studies that are showing that people are demonstrating postural changes because of this new lifestyle that we live with phones and laptops and everything else but they're their thesis is that it's going to provoke evolutionary changes so that we're all going to be looking like this eventually. So it's an interesting, funny article. She looks like my yaya. <laughs> when she was like getting old, you know, they, you know, the old people, they get bent over and stuff like me. I always like that. So <laughs> your yaya. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I'm, a, I'm part Greek. So my, my grandmother, we called her yaya. Huh? Why yeah. did I not know that? That explains a lot. Like, you look yeah. sort of Greek. You think? It's my hairy neck, I think. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. yeah exactly. All right, Snob. So, next thing we've got is um, you and 
um, Mrs. Stomp attended a presentation and it seems like you guys had like one of these um, epiphany moments about trauma and stress and like you, you you basically went to this thing and you came back re-energized and your marriage is like on a whole new level. Like what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Stomp's like, like no, cooking well, dinner for you now. What, what's happening? It was really cool. I mean, it was it was promoted by a local search and rescue team, uh, but it was open to um, EMS, you know, fire, police, everybody. So it's a psychologist in the area. Her name is Dr. Nicole Sawyer. And she basically talked about uh, the difference between traumatic stress and PTSD. And I could go on forever about this, but she talked about basically what causes issues when you're an emergency personnel individual uh, dealing with all these awful scenes, um, awful events in your life and this and that and how it impacts you and how you can manage it. I took a lot away from it just in terms of how to manage your family. In the volunteer world, volunteers as opposed to people that are paid uh, emergency personnel, volunteers actually have a choice. So you have this interesting dynamic where, you know, for instance, Mrs. Stomp and I are sitting down for dinner some night and a call comes in. We have a choice. I have a choice. So that creates its own other level of tension. And, and you know, it was just really insightful and just um, she provided a lot of strategies for, for families and couples about how to minimize the damage of public service and community service over the years. And, you know, she deep dives on, you know, the, the hormones in your body, cortisol and the stress hormones and very interesting things like first responders aren't at your typical level of cortisol, which is your sort of like your fight adrenaline hormone. They're always somewhat elevated. But the problem with that is over time, it just leads to numerous health problems. So, I mean, it was fascinating. I wanted to just bring this up because if you are an individual that's a first responder, EMT, uh, search and rescue volunteer, whatever it may be, if you're having issues in your life, whether it be due to PTSD or traumatic stress, which is a whole other, we don't have time to get into that, but it's it's very different, um, then this individual is available for you. <laughs> it's just speechless. It was so great. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. And yeah. I would imagine sometimes with first responders, like you, I'm sure that they all have in-house resources and there may be like that concern around like, okay, I don't want to tip anyone off that I'm going through this with my own resources. So yeah. Dr. Sawyer sounds like somebody they could reach out to privately if they want to. So we'll uh, try to include that in our show notes. Yeah, and, and if anybody wants a direct message, I can definitely give you some contact information. Cool. All right, yeah. well, let's move on to pop culture talk snob. Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stump. Ah, pop culture. There's so much going on. Um, on Netflix, I, I made it through the entire Cabinet of Curiosities by Guillermo del Toro. And a lot of it was just way over the top, but the last one was last episode was fantastic. It, it, Don't give it away. Don't give it away. I won't. I just started watching. But... Well, you'll see what I mean. The the, the last episode um, included Essie Davis from Babadook and Andy Lincoln from Walking Dead. And 
where the the first two thirds of the series was really over the top. The last one sort of reins it in and just presents a really beautiful psychodrama. Just it's a really beautiful story. So I won't I won't go into it, but it's definitely about a, a couple that are experiencing difficulties and whatnot. So it's great. So highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I watched the first episode. Something about that like whole um, setup where they have like the, you know, the the posh professor type of guy in the beginning that's sort of setting everything up. Like, I think. Um, <laughs> well, that's Guillermo. That for like, that, that's him. Yeah, Guillermo. Guillermo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Guillermo. Yeah. So. Um, Guillermo. He, see, I got a pronunciation right there. But uh, yeah, there's something about that. Like, I remember when I was a kid, like we would get Faces of Death that video, and it would be like, oh, we've got this like. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, secrets you know thing that no one's supposed to know and they had like a guy that was like the intro guy and then like um, i think outer <laughs> limits is another one that would do that so i don't know I, something about that i always like that <laughs> yeah it's good yeah he's definitely tapping into that old school presentation yeah and then we've got here we've got a virtual reality headset that actually kills the gamer if they die in game so basically let's like, go if you if you get killed in the video game this virtual reality headset will actually kill you in real life take you out you know i I can honestly say this the way this culture is going right now i guarantee you there's a a class of people that would love to do this like jeez oh yeah this is like the um the squid game type of thing like i could see people wanting to do this yeah yeah or like i mean there are certain states that have legal euthanization right now so why not just play a game and finish it off but yeah this guy he made this it it's not operable, but he says it's basically, you know, it is operable with a few tweaks. So it's very sort of troubling, but pop culture. I feel like, you know how um, they, supposedly they've invented a car that runs on water, but like the government like paid this guy like billions of dollars not to release it. Like, I feel like the government should step in and like pay this guy to never release this. <laughs> I've not heard of that. How, how yeah, would that I mean, happen? How would that work with water? It's, it's just an urban legend. Like, oh, this guy, you, it's these conspiracy people. They'd be like, oh, this guy, he invented this car and it runs off of water. And like, but <laughs> and this technology has existed for 50 years, but the government doesn't want you to have it because oh, it's like, going to ruin the economy. Yeah, much like Tesla. So, that, that Tesla story is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Huh. Anyway, but uh, all right, moving on. So you've got your big release for another podcast. So you're going to be doing Fantasy Pants. Yes. So next um, Monday is that first episode. So Fantasy Pants uh, podcast with Steve Rodriguez, um, Dave Monroe, and Jeremy, the guys up in Bethlehem. Um, I got a sneak preview. It was it was fun listening to it. We had a good time. So they're doing good. They're starting to stick, and um, the sound is awesome, and uh, it's sort of nice. It's cool seeing. Yeah, yeah. The production value is fantastic on. Isn't it, so it cool? Looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Proud of you, Stomp. You're you're uh, expanding your uh, your podcast <laughs> skills here. So looking forward to it. Um, moving on to the next one here, Stomp. I love that you found the story. So we've been talking about cheating. So we had yes, a Miss yeah. USA cheating scandal. We've had <laughs> chess. We've had fishing. Um, we had one other one I can't even remember, but now we have cornhole. My favorite summertime drinking a beer, hanging out with my friends game. Cornhole, the World Cornhole Championships is rigged. Apparently, 
It's the apocalypse. Um, these guys that are like the Jeez. world champion cornhole. I don't understand why they have to cheat. Like these guys, I watch these videos and these guys like all like can perfectly throw it anywhere they want. Like it's to the point where the only thing that they could do to make it more challenging is to spread the cornhole boards out another 25 feet. But apparently they're like using lighter bean bags or something. I don't know how that works, but yes. whatever. I have no idea. Wait, yeah, yeah, I would assume so. It's yeah. bizarre, but yeah. Anyway, controversy in the world of cornhole. <laughs> Nothing is pure. What is pure? What is left? I have Nothing. no idea. If you can, if if there's money involved and it's an activity, people will cheat. Oh, okay. All right, next story that you had. Stomp, you picked up some good ones. You did all this, so I appreciate it because I'm sick. Yeah, no problem. But um, National Park Service warns people not to lick. Um, toads. These toads have like these, they secrete this like poison, this toxin. Hypnotoads. And I guess it's a thing in like Texas and Mexico where they milk these toads and. Yeah, for hallucinogenic effect. They will effect. like take the, yeah, exactly. And they'll like dip it into whatever cigarettes or they'll just lick the toad and they, they just go and uh, I don't know, just take acid. Like do mushrooms. Don't, enough with the nonsense with this stuff. Don't lick a toad. Yeah, it's crazy. But there's an underground market where apparently, what is it, like people pay two fifty to 8500 to smoke the toxin in Mexico and Texas. So if this podcast thing doesn't work out, I think we, you and I are moving down south and we're going to move in with uh, Brees, who's coming up soon to talk about his, his new invention. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, don't lick any of these toads. Like I, and this immediately when you when you sent this story over, stuff. Yeah. The the story that I think of immediately is there's this famous story about this kid that was like, and I, I honestly like this was me and my friends back in when we were in like college. The, this kid in Australia, he was like a rugby player or whatever they play in Australia. That's like rugby. Yeah. Australian rules football or something. So they're all hanging out drinking having a party and like some guy just happens to see a slug sitting on the side of like I don't know wherever they were in the backyard and everyone's like joking around they're like oh I bet you you can't eat it blah 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 oh, I'm gonna throw up just thinking about it <laughs> so anyway <laughs> so anyway this kid being a kid ate the slug oh my god I'm gonna puke stomp if you can just see me on video right now I'm gagging so we ate this slug and it turns out oh god oh <laughs> Just the idea of like eating one is going. So, but anyway, this kid oh ended God. up. It's such a horrible story. He ended up paralyzed. Oh shit! Really? And like he, it. Oh, I'm just thinking about it. He had a rat, a rat, um, bacteria or something in it. Yeah. And it paralyzed the kid, and he was basically a vegetable for eight years. His parents had to take care of this kid, and eventually he died. Yeah. Like, terrible story. So do not lick amphibians or whatever the hell they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Oh, <laughs> Slash, Slashers, good health advice for the week. Oh, you're <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> anyway, um, so then Stomp, me and Rebecca, had we poo-pooed on the... Uh, Love is Blind on Netflix and we, we're on team The Ultimatum. You don't like The Ultimatum. You like Love is Blind. It was all so right. I don't know. Ultimatum was okay. I mean, the, the reason why we lean towards Blind is that there's, particularly this season, there seems to be more uh, cultural context in terms of like uh, just hot button issues and Stomp you can just say the guys are better looking on Love is Blind <laughs> and The Ultimatum. It's fine. 
<laughs> yeah, true. That's it. But anyway, it's more yeah. complicated. So I don't know. But see, I disappear for a week and you guys like take over and just push this ultimatum thing. Like, oh, man. Exactly. So anyway, um, so next up here, we've got some New Hampshire news. Stomp, you found that there is an amazing sculpture art park in Brookline, New Hampshire. You want to Can talk about that? Can you believe this? I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Daniel Chester French Museum in the Berkshires. This is very similar. So you have 140 acres and it's the Andres Institute of Art. So what they do is they have a, a series or a network of trails that you can walk and just see random pieces of art. So it's really neat it's beautiful so it looks like something that uh, could be a really romantic time with your significant other we have and we'll include that in the show notes we have a place near me in kensington new hampshire yeah it's called alnoba and it's a it's like a conference center and it's not open to the public but every once in a while they will open it up and it's got like a lot of these sort of outdoor art things and it's supposed to be like really really cool so i'll include the alnoba um link in the show notes as well yeah 140 acres wow patanapo hill very cool very yeah, cool it's interesting so there's a lot of cool places around and then stomp you have here just sort of like tech news so there's a bunch of layoffs going on i'm in hr in a tech company so this is top of mind for me but like what? you've got like yeah what's going on with facebook uh i don't know i think so. well is it the economy what's going on with facebook right now so Facebook has heavily leveraged itself on investing. I think it's like something like, I want to say it's like $50 billion that they're investing in virtual reality, which is the product called Meta. Yeah. And it's very much up in the air on whether or not it's going to take off. So they're gambling huge with the idea that this virtual reality is going to take off. I'm not convinced. I feel like virtual reality a lot of times is sort of a novelty where people do it a couple of times and then they're over it. Yeah. Uh, sure. But Mark Zuckerberg is like really leveraged it significantly. Uh, but what's going on sort of the big picture is with the interest rates going up at this point, companies were used to sort of being able to get access to free capital at 0% interest or very small interest. Now they've got to pay whatever, 5 6% interest. So in order for them to um, show a profit, like they've got to make sort of like an 11%, 12% margin. Um, on top of the fact that they, you know, and they're used to doing, you know, five, six percent margin in the past was okay because you weren't paying any money for capital. But now it's almost like you're at the point where if you can cut people from work and just invest that money, you're going to get a better return than you would investing in hiring new people and doing new product development. So I think a lot of companies are sort of putting, they're building a wall around themselves to make sure that they're financially stable for the next two years. Well, interest rates rise, and I think the effect of that is that there's going to be a lot of companies that are going to be looking at um, you know, their workforce, and the quickest way for them to sort of affect their profitability is to, to cut workers, unfortunately. And Facebook's been on a hiring tier. I think with Twitter, Elon sort of feels like there's enough sort of uh, extra employees that he can cut. I don't know about 50% of the workforce, I think that that's gonna be absolutely devastating. I'm gonna be watching it because I think it's an interesting study on changing a corporate culture significantly in a short amount of time, but I don't know how it's gonna work. So what was the percentage for Facebook? How many did they lay off? I don't know, I don't know. Um, I haven't looked at the details. I mean, it's gotta be partly the economy too. Like it, it, with a 
imploding economy. Nobody's buying ad, ads. Well, I mean, there's there's impacts with with Facebook. So Apple had changed its policy around, um, I guess, access to um, the platform. I guess the, their privacy settings and whatnot. So that's affected Facebook. But yeah. I think Facebook would have been fine. But they've invested all this money in the virtual reality side of the business and Meta. And with the economy going the way it is and interest rates the way they are, it's just you can't do business the old way anymore because you used to be able to get access to free capital and now you can't. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, so we'll see. it's interesting. <laughs> I'm fascinated by it. I was dumped yeah. off at of Twitter. See, Twitter's sensitive for me because it would, I was censored and literally tonight they just unlocked my account. Oh boy, Stomp. I'm going to give you the best advice I can give you don't go on any of them. Yeah. It's like it's, it's toxic. Oh, it is. It's too much nonsense. You just stay off all of them. You're much better off just sticking with like, you know, Instagram, you do your thing with the, with the podcast, but otherwise like, yeah, don't get involved in Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, any of that stuff. Well, yeah. Well, I want to get your take on the whole public square thing because there, it is a deep topic. Um, you know, you have, but it's not a public square. It's a bunch of sort of media influence people that are just like talking to themselves. Like that's the thing I don't agree with is like, I don't think it's a public square. I think all it is, is just a very small subset of loud people that are overly influential when they shouldn't be. And the best thing that I can say to people is regardless of where you come down from a political perspective is like, don't play that game. Well, they're playing it, dude. It's like, two, here are my two reference points. You got Zuckerberg on Joe Rogan saying the government, a.k.a. the FBI, government organization, told them to bury stories. And then you have Freedom of Information Act information revealing that California politicians and other politicians were directly telling the tech group here to bury stories. So... It, they're playing the game like it's it's bigger than that. So it is the public square. Well, so that'll be the, the interesting thing about the Twitter takeover is that um, you're now starting to see some of the Twitter engineers come forward. I don't even care that much about sort of the interaction with the government. You know, I think government, you know, there's a lot of valid reasons why the government would go to a tech company to say we need information because they're investigating stuff. What's more interesting to me is some of the privacy issues around the partnerships that the um, you know some of these tech companies have had with building out data tools and giving information to oh yeah sort of data ISPs and vendors and then Absolutely. you wonder how much of that information has actually gotten into um, other areas and yeah we haven't even so, mentioned TikTok <laughs> yeah Jesus. anyway but we could go on forever we're gonna put everyone to sleep here so, I know so I know last thing here is daylight savings. If it gets passed. So the big debate is whether or not we lock into the standard time or daylight savings time. And the argument is if you lock into standard time, um, there's a decreased cardiac risk, apparently, due to research. And if you lock into daylight savings time, sorry, uh, there's a decreased depression risk, but there's also an alleged boost to the economy. So it's like you have these two two parties that are battling over what to do here. I personally like the the bright mornings. I hate dark nights after work. Apparently, Arizona and Hawaii are permanently on standard time. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I think my understanding is is it passed in the House. It hasn't passed in the Senate, or that hasn't been taken up by the Senate. Yeah. Um, my view is that I'd rather keep like not do this daylight savings. I'm fine with it being 
a little bit darker in the morning for a little longer and getting more like afternoon sun. But I mean, yeah. who knows? We'll just who I've knows? lived with it for 50 years. I can live with it for a little more. <laughs> Sponsor and coffee talk coming up. Can you believe this? And we have had multiple uh, statements from folks saying that they love the uh, the long intros. Uh, don't worry, people. It'll be worth it. We have a great topic tonight. But um, for donations, we have someone donated three. New hiker. Thanks for the laughs. And just today we have a donation. It's Camila and Lance who donated three. And uh, AKA Dancing in the Mountains. And again, that's a long a long uh, explanation of how they found us and how they listened to us. And we really appreciate the listens. Let's see. We have a brand new sponsor, Fieldstone Kombucha, which I think you're drinking tonight, right? Because you're a little under the weather. I am actually. Uh, shout out to Emily yeah. for Fieldstone. I am drinking a spicy ginger and it's actually been great on my throat. It's like I, I got a few more of these left, but I was like, let me try it. And it's been perfect. Yeah, that was my favorite too when I tried those. And uh Let's see, New England's premier craft kombucha ships to New Hampshire. Check out Fieldstone Kombucha online for delicious seasonal flavors and a kombucha style beloved of skeptics and enthusiasts alike. The perfect non-alcoholic post-hike drink. Shipping available for retail and wholesale. For more information, contact Emily Sheridan at emily at Fieldstone Kombucha Co. Uh, let's see here. We also have Spinners, Best Pizza in Andover, Mass. On your way home from a hike, they are sporting our stickers. They're right off of Dascom Road, Route 93. Tell dolls and pops I said hi. EMS, your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. I just saw a picture of their snowshoe selection. I couldn't believe it. I think it's the Nashua store. If you're looking for snowshoes, apparently the uh, you know the shipping issues across the nation are not impacting EMS at the moment. So super cool. And lastly, Reckless at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun. Just 15 minutes north of Franconia Notch and many 4K footers and less than 10 minutes from the five corners, which to you hikers is basically Galehead and Garfield Trail. Yes. Okay, so um, welcome to episode 82 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we welcome Brees Sokolowski from Valkluse Gear to give us a sneak preview of a new piece of gear that allows hikers to experience hiking without the fear of sweat running down your back um, from your backpack touching your back. So it's basically, it's like a little attachment for your backpack that separates your backpack from your actual back and it allows a little bit of airflow. Yeah. So you've seen these in different backpacks, but this is a separate piece of, of uh, equipment that will- It's an um, accessory. It's an accessory. It's like six ounces, so it's pretty pretty light. Uh, so we'll learn all about the cool dry backpack frame and then later in the show, we'll discuss Stomp's recent hike of the Algonquin Traverse. So all this and some recent search and rescue news. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp, back in action. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm almost out of action, so we gotta move it along. So I don't yeah, we're trying. We're trying. Yeah, exactly. So you already gave away my uh, my beer talk. So I'm not drinking beer tonight. I've extended sober October, but I am drinking Woo. the Fieldstone Kombucha. The, the spicy ginger is definitely my favorite flavor. So yeah. I'm gonna go back to Emily and order like a couple of six packs of this. And Mrs. Stomp uh, grabbed me an Erastus from the cupboard down the road. So Rastus is from uh, Schilling Beer Works, and it's a beautiful Abbey-style triple uh, 9% uh, 
It's just awesome. It's like I've been on an IPA kick, but Erastus is definitely a really nice beer. And P.S. We're going to have Steve on soon for for some winter talk about reckless plans and whatnot. Awesome. So yeah. recent hike stop. Um, do you want to do you want to go over the Algonquin Traverse right now? Sure. Might as well dive into it. Uh, last weekend, I decided to dive into the Algonquin Trail, which starts either from Route 49 in Waterville or from Sandwich Notch Road. If you take Sandwich Notch Road, which I did, and I got to give a, a shout out to my folks because they dropped me off. That's the biggest problem with this traverse. The car spot is a nightmare. If you have a car that's able to get up and over Sandwich Notch Road, then you've got a starting point. But if you don't, don't risk it because Sandwich Notch is just brutal on your vehicle. So we drove out in my truck. Check this out. Are these the parents of the year or what? They drove out with my Tacoma, took my Tacoma, and then dumped it off at the Route 49 Drake's Brook Trailhead, which is eight miles away. So how cool is that? Parents of the year. Parents of the year. Parents for sure. of the year. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's super cool. Otherwise, I mean, last time I did this, I had a bushwhack up from Smartsbrook just to make the loop and come back down to where I started. But yeah. um, it's beautiful. So essentially, Caltopo mapped this out at like 7.2 miles, likely closer to eight. It was a beautiful 65, 70 degree day, as we know, last weekend. Um, I finished in four hours and 10 minutes. You know, it's like I was I was sort of mindful of the time, but I was also, I, you know, so I, was, tr- I was trying to get a workout. I had my heavy pack on and I was, was trying to be safe at the same time, though, because of all the leaves and this and that. And it was very slippery. Um, had about like 40 pounds in my pack, which is sort of your typical winter pack for... Uh, search and rescue and and in general I mean what do you carry Mike generally like 30 to 40 in the winter I have a 50 liter pack that I carry that has you know it's got plenty of room for extra stuff but um, yeah yeah, I just carry that Hyperlite 50 50 liter pack I think it's like a 3400 Southwest or something the the old saying goes don't let the first time out in, in the winter be the first time that you have a 30, 40, 50 pound pack on because it'll just burn you out. So I like to start early and um, get that heavier weight on now. It's sort of interesting, ties into this whole idea with the moisture and condensation. It's if you're carrying a heavy pack and you're not used to it, you're going to be sweating your butt off. So I had my 115 liter. <laughs> Have you seen, you've seen the 115, right? Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a 90 liter low uh, Alpine bag and it expands to 115. So you can pretty much put everything in there. Full winter clothing, headlamps, two uh, goggles, the whole thing. It was it was heavy. It had to be at least 40. I don't know because I felt it the next day. I'm not going to lie. So let me, let me just understand this first. So your one car is parked at the... The trailhead on Sandwich Notch Road, which is... Well, um, that's the trick. See, my folks took my truck and dropped my truck off at the other side. Where? What trailhead is the other side? Drake's. Drake's Brook, which okay, is it. basically Cask, you know, Fletcher Cascade, Drake's Brook, or Sandwich Mountain Trail, which you can get right off of 49, just before you come into Waterville Valley. Uh, it. So it's right there on the right. So they took my truck and dropped it off. All right. So you're starting on Drake's Brook. So I started on the other side, Sandwich Notch. Okay. Yeah. 
which is <laughs> that's the way you want to do it yeah. really because the first mile mile and a half of this trail you're you're following a beautiful brook and then it ascends moderately to this just open ledges and it's just gorgeous um you know the the trail you're walking on is maybe six to eight inches wide just lush greens and then you hit these scrambles that are pretty intense and i would not want to go down them um so i've i've done it each time ascending from sandwich sandwich side um um, yeah, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but from there, you're ascending pretty much a half mile straight up scrambles until you get to the top of the ridge. And w- what you see is Black Mountain behind you to the south. Um, I skipped Black because I just wanted to stick to a traditional trail adventure and just get the bushwhacking stuff out of the way for a change. Um, okay. The scrambles weren't too bad. It was a weird morning. Sandwich Dome was socked in, and there was just this heavy um, humidity just everywhere. So the rocks were pretty slippery. Made it up to the top of the ridge walk, and from there, you intersect with trails that lead down to Black. Uh, what is it? Black Mountain Pond. Yes. Yeah. Which is I've I've not been down there. I've not been down there yet, but uh, the view is incredible. There was a little bit of undercast. Main, put, main point about this traverse is that it's relatively flat and literally like a, a carpet of pine. You're not walking over boulders and just skipping around. It's just a straight path, flat as a board, virtually until you get over to the junction um, of Sandwich Dome Trail, which can take you right up to Sandwich Dome, which from the junction of... Sandwich Mountain Trail to the summit. It's like maybe five minutes, like a tenth of a mile, uh, which I did. Got it. And did you stop at Jennings Peak? Well, yeah. So I made it to the summit of Sandwich, and it was just totally socked in. Left there, you know, changed some clothing, had some food, made it over to Jennings. And by then, it was starting to break up a bit. So you could look south and see that Sandwich Dome was still covered, but looking towards Welch Dickey and just south towards Cardigan. It was starting to break up. So it was a really pretty day. And then from there, just descended um, Noon Peak back down to the highway. Noon Peak is awesome. It's just, uh, I'm trying to think of what it would be reminiscent of. Maybe the lower levels of Whiteface, you know, just those open ledges or um, the Dickey ledges before you get to the, the cliffs. Um, I think that's probably a, a good comparison. It's just beautiful. And do you do you do the bushwhack to the top of Black Mountain? Is that even worth it, or is that not? It's absolutely worth it. It's it's a okay, nut, so it's, views. It's like being on the moon. It's it's just a, a a very strange, separate experience from the whole traverse. It's very different. It's very condensed, jagged, green, mossy. It's like you're in the jungle. It's very, very different. And there's views from the top of Black Mountain when you get up there? Yes, there are. It's a very oh. short bushwhack, but it's very, it's starkly different. So in, yeah. in that sense, it's it's worth doing for sure. But the views are more south, uh, southwest, southeast. Okay. And then it looks like just on the on the topo here, like basically you're at 2,600 feet and then you can walk right across. You can get off the trail, yep. walk right to the peak. It's only like 120 feet of elevation gain and it looks like it's pretty gradual if you come in from the eastern 
um, section of Black Mountain. Yes, exactly. Yep. Okay. There are so many neat options. I mean, if you're a bushwhacker, you can come in off of Smartsbrook and come right up to that call between Black Mountain and the ascent to the mm-hmm. tra- you know the traverse. Um, it's awesome. It's just beautiful. I, I think the best part about this place, and I've said it before, is that it's not heavily traveled by people. Again, I, I didn't see anybody on trail until I got to the summit of Sandwich Dome. From there, I saw about maybe six people on the way over to Jennings. Um, and then on the way down, maybe two or three people you know, down from uh, Noon Peak. And I was shocked that there weren't uh, calls this weekend um, because it was wet. It was wet and slippery. But coming down from Noon Peak down to the trailhead of Drake's Brook, it's a whole different change in the the texture and the quality of the rocks. Like everything was green, slippery, mossy. I had two significant slips that made me think, damn, that could have been really bad. Um, So, yeah. And just so I'm clear on this, then you're... When you're on Drake's Brook, like you're you're at that trailhead, but ultimately you're taking Sandwich Mountain Trail to go over um, Noon Peak, and because so, there's like there's like three or four parallel trails. Correct. Yeah. So Sandwich Got Mountain it. Trail is the one that covers Noon Peak. Drake's Brook comes in uh, basically the valley between. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just the valley way up, and that's very long, gradual, and gentle. If if yeah. people are not into the whole steep, slippery aspect of Noon Peak, um, depends what you're looking for. Um, you know, Mrs. Stomp and I love Drake's Brook. It's just awesome. It's beautiful, yeah. very gradual. Well, I highly recommend checking out that area. I want to get in there for sure, and uh, that, that's a good one. I didn't get out at all, Stomp. I was, I had to pick up a car, and my wife was like, it was a whole thing. We had to go to a cheerleading competition for my nieces, Maddie and Maeve. Go, Maddie and Maeve. You guys crushed it. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so we went into Boston on Saturday, so... Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, it was fun. We were at the Reggie Lewis Center or whatever it was, and it was a lot of like a lot of screaming kids, and it was <laughs> quite an adventure. So <laughs> That's anyway, too funny. Oh, I saw a moose too. By the way, oh, you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was like how close? It was on maybe like a mile in from the start, and it was thirty yards away. It, it bolted. It heard me and bolted, but. I got a glimpse of the rear quarter, like the rear end, two legs just bolting into the woods and it was gone. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of moose there. I, I think oh, I've said this. I've said the story before on the podcast, but I've done like, I went up, um, I forget the name of that, that trail Gleason trail. I went up the abandoned Gleason trail and I got stuck in some like areas where it was like moose den and it was just the most moose poop I've ever seen in my life. So there's a lot of moose in that area. Crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. great stuff, but uh, it's literally my top five. I think we might go next weekend, actually, um, Mrs. Stomp and I, and just do it again because I'm I'm just hooked on it. Um, yeah, so that's my story. Variations to it. So yeah, very good Stomp. All right, so moving on to segment one, uh, we're gonna drop out of this because we did a separate interview with uh, Brees Sokolowski from uh, Valcluse Gear. So he's gonna talk about his uh, his product. So let's dump into that right now, and then we'll come back and, and wrap up. Are you ready for Slasher's Weekly Gear Review?
All right. Hey, Mike, uh, let me take this one. You're not sounding so hot here, so I'm going to do the duties here. So tonight we have a special guest, sort of last minute, actually. Um, Brees, I think you sort of found out about us somehow or another and um, logged on to our Instagram. And then I did a little digging on your website and I was fascinated. So I reached out to you. So thank you for coming on. Again, this is Brees Sokolowski from a new... I'm not so. I'm not sure about new, but the website is Vauclus Gear. Is it Vauclus? Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, that's correct. Vauclus Vauclus Gear. Vauclus Gear. Okay, now check this out. I did some digging on your Instagram page, and here's what I found. Uh oh. So the company. Yeah, this is a good one. So here's here's a a quote: Sweat less, explore more. Outdoorsman who dislikes sweat invented a solution, building a backpack company with the goal of helping you sweat less. So I saw that and I'm like, oh man, we got to get this guy in here to see what he's all about and uh, see what he's been doing to sort of solve these problems. So um, without much further ado, why don't you tell us about yourself and your background, uh, interests, Absolutely. So I, I would consider myself uh, a dilettante in when it comes to backpacking and hiking. I really have been out of the uh, quote unquote business for several years, probably maybe 20 years. I, I used to do a lot of hiking when in my teens. And um, mm-hmm. one of my last big hikes, I actually hiked the uh, the, El Cam- the El Camino in in Spain. So I was, yes. I hiked probably maybe four weeks and I had a massive 65 liter backpack and uh, that experience, as much as I loved it and um, had great friends, it was a great hike recommend to anybody. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I, I did sweat so much. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a horrible experience. I, I and I, I naturally sweat much. I don't, I, I'm not a massive guy. I probably weigh, I probably weigh anywhere between like 180 and 190, yeah, um, depending on, you know, how far we are from Christmas. <laughs> Though, um. And, and then eventually, you know, fast forward to 20 years, I, my mother-in-law actually got me hiking again. Yeah. And, um, and I'm ashamed to say it. I would go out to these beautiful hikes. She lives in Sedona, so it's absolutely extraordinary. But I, I was ashamed because I wouldn't wear a backpack, but she would. And so she carried my waters and she carried my, you know, if it was a little, it, it, it gets cold. Um, it, it's cold in the morning. So she would probably carry, you know, when I took off my jacket or something, she carried it. So I was like, well, you know, I, I love going out and obviously I have to go out now that I'm, I'm, I'm married to kind of like a hiking family. Okay. So I pretty much had to find a solution. And so I was pretty much, um, you know, I, I went to church one day and I, I, I admit I wasn't paying attention and, you know, epiphany hit me and I, I kind of figured out, I did my first sketch of something that would separate the backpack from the back. And I know that's completely, that's called, that's a heresy in the backpacking world mm-hmm. because you're supposed to have the, the backpack on you mm-hmm. because of, you know, the center of gravity, the support, all of this stuff. So it, 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 it's, it's unorthodox, but I thought, well, you know, I'm going to give it a try. And um, I could talk a whole lot more, but I'm going to pause there. I, I gave it a try, and it worked. And um, and it, it's it, now it's I, I invented something for myself, and then eventually, you know, few, a few people said I want that, and then I put an Instagram. More people said I wanted. I made a website. More people said I wanted it, and uh, now I'm talking to you. 
Okay. Yeah. And, and what we're talking about is this, this idea that you've created called a cool, dry frame, but I want to back up a little bit. So you have connections here in Sedona, Arizona, right? Correct. Correct. So I'm originally from Texas. Okay. And um, because it wasn't hot enough there, I moved to Arizona. Oh, I see. So that's, what's your connection it, 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 That's a joke. <laughs> to France. Okay. So France. Yeah. We're, 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 we're going to travel the world. It, it, yes. What's the connection to France? It all makes sense. So my, my mother's French and my dad is actually uh, from from New York. And so they they met, they got married, and then the, eventually they had me. And so I was born in France. And that's why my name mm-hmm. is Brees. The, the American version is Bryce, but I always kept with the Brees. Yes. And that's exactly. why my company's name is Vaucluse because Vaucluse is, uh, is a very famous it's a very famous, I guess you could call it, it's a department. We don't do counties or states in France. We do departments. And Vaucluse is very famous because about 300 days out of the year, it's nothing but sunshine. It's absolutely beautiful weather. Um, yeah. It doesn't rain a whole much, a whole lot. Okay. So it's very famous for the red wine. So if you ever heard of um, a Cote de Rhone or a, um, a um, Cote de Rhone is usually the most popular and Cote de Provence is also very, very popular. A lot of people know like Chateau Neuf de Pop. I know this isn't a wine podcast, but it's, it's very famous for the red wines. It's also very famous for the lavender. And it's also famous for a lot of agriculture. The, the, the number one, I would say, output of that region is wine and just produce. Gotcha. And most of the time, people, everybody's always out. And so I have an affinity with that because part of my family's from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. So I see the connection there now. And it seems, so would you say it's sort of a, a, a hot, temperate climate? Or what, what are the seasons like? Because I'm trying to connect this to your invention. Great question. So it, I would say it's, it, so it's 300 days out of the year, it's sun, sunny. Yep. It, it gets cold in the winter, but it doesn't really snow. I would say it's very similar to a, probably a, a Southern California. Ah, gotcha. Uh, Temperature, okay, probably southern mid. So, for 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 most of the year, it, it's very temperate. It, it's around seventy degrees. It's yeah, absolutely beautiful. Nice. Um, in the winter, it, it'll probably get to the forties. Um, maybe it'll probably get to the thirties and forties at night, and then it goes back up to the fifties in yeah. the day. Um, in the su- in the summer, it gets quite hot. It, it can it, it can scratch, you know, like ninety five degrees. But sure. for the most part, it's very temperate. It it it. it if anyone's been to like like Napa Valley, is is a very good example, or Central Southern California. Yep. That's what Southern France is like, and that's why a lot of people go there for either retirement or just for the holidays because it's just absolutely beautiful. And so, mm-hmm. going back to my product, so obviously I, I I've been living most of my life in very hot um, temperatures, and so when I'm out, I, I sweat, and I naturally sweat anyways. But what I found is that, so I invented something for myself in hot weather. And the interesting thing is, is and I never thought of it before, but uh, people were reaching out to me who were living in colder climates and saying, oh, this would be great for cold climate as well. Yeah. Because even in cold climate, I never thought of it, but in cold climate, you know, if you're out hiking for an hour or two hours, your body temperature is going up. The challenge is, is if you stop moving, your mm-hmm. core temperature is dropping quite quickly because your surroundings is quite cold and you have to be careful because if while you were hiking for an hour or two hours and you were actually you were sweating and that sweat didn't evaporate 
you know, that water gets cold on your body and then all of a sudden you might be in trouble. Yeah, it has to go somewhere. Well, let's let's talk about what you've made here. So <clears throat> when did you come up with the idea to make this cool, dry frame, as you call it, and as it's listed on your website? When did this start? Yeah, so, so we're, we're, we're relatively new. And mm-hmm. so a year and a half ago, it was just on a piece of paper. It looked very different than what it looks today. Yeah. And even I'm getting... I, 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 I love my customers and I love the backpacking, um, I guess, community. Uh, they give great feedback. So little by little iterations is like the one that I have on my website now is, um, it works fantastic, but I'm getting great feedback. So we've only been around for a year and a half and we already, you know, we're making iterations and we're thinking about different sizes and there's a whole lot of other things that we're already thinking about that I would have never thought myself. Yeah. Why don't you um, describe it to the listeners? Because, um, I'm not sure myself. I mean, is it, it's not a, a backpack necessarily, but it's a sort of an accessory that you would add to a backpack. Is that correct? Sure. It, it, it's like an accessory frame that you would attach to your backpack. And instead of, and you could, you could think of it as uh, two frames in one. Like I'll describe this as it's basically like two, it's like a rectangular thing that would fit your back, but it's two separate units of circular plastic and then it's got these black spacers that separate it at about three quarters of an inch. So the, the the methodology on this is that you basically attach it to the top of your um, backpacking straps. And then from there, you just sort of let it hang down below the backpack. You put your shoulder straps on. And what this does is it basically separates the backpack from your body and gives you about three quarters of an inch separation and then I think in the desert like I've been out in Sedona before and it's definitely windy what you would want to do is try to kind of optimize the direction that you're traveling so that if you've got wind going on you sort of directionally move yourself into um, sort of the crosswind so that it will benefit by um, drying the sweat off of your back and it's pretty cool it's a good idea and I've seen Priest I guess I've seen like I used to have Deuter backpacks that I would use quite a bit and I know that um, Osprey as well, they sort of, they try to do the same thing with like a frame component where they'll have a metal center bar. But a lot of times, like it just doesn't, it, ultimately it just ends up conforming to your back. So it, uh, those, those built-in separators, the air contact, I think that Deuter has, it just isn't as effective, I don't think. That's correct. Everything that I've seen either has mesh or some type of curve. And the, the, the challenge with mesh is that it absorbs, but it doesn't. It just absorbs and it keeps the sweat. And then the curve, you know, heat, heat rises. And so if your backpack is curved, you know, the heat doesn't have anywhere to go. So you're, you're always going to have a, a challenge. And plus, the, the, these, the, these frames, they're quite heavy. I found that the majority – well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go that far. Well, but I think I'm right, though. A good amount of a backpack's weight is actually the frame. And so my frame right now weighs about mm-hmm. six ounces – um, probably in a in a few months, we're going to have a frame that comes out that's going to be four ounces, and we're just going to keep shaving, shaving, shaving. Okay. Obviously, we have to juggle um, uh, comfort because a lot of people see this and they just think this can't work; it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, so it, it's because it, it is it's it's very unorthodox, and mm-hmm. I even thought when I made it, I was like, you know, this isn't going to work, but in, in reality, it, it's. It, 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 you know, 
could it be more comfortable? Absolutely. I mean, we're, 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 we're very nice. new, but am I sweating a whole lot less than a previous backpack? Absolutely. So right now I'm, you know, obviously I made it, but I, I enjoy, I would rather sweat less and be cooler than, you know, have, you know, this very soft, you know, mushy mesh on my back. Yeah. The, the pack stays soaked. Yeah. The, the, your clothing, you can change if you bring the proper swap outs, but your pack is going to stay wet the whole time and everything inside it too. So it's nice to prevent that dampness from getting through the actual pack fabric. I guess my question to you is with the separators, you, you've, you use three quarters of an inch. Um, is there any methodology to that? Did you do any sort of like research to figure out like that's an optimum spacing to allow for the pack to continue to sort of ride properly and not sort of get out of balance? I, I pretty much had three different sizes. I had a, a size that was a little bit smaller and then I had the three quarters inch and then I had the, the even larger one. And, and this ended up to be the, the best. Now, have you tested it yet in winter or no? Is that something for the future? We are testing right now and we are selling to people who are using it in winter, obviously, because we, we started a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty much our, this is going to be our full winter season. Yeah. We, we started selling last January. So um, I, I've, gotten, I've gotten some feedback from my initial customers who bought it in cold climates. And the the overall, the, the, you know, they really liked it. So I'm, uh, you know, I personally live in a warmer climate, but yeah. I am trying to find more people that will, you know, get the frame and test it. But so far, every every everybody says good because the the the, the challenge is, is is when you're out in the cold is like you know you you have all of the, this very expensive gear and you probably have a very expensive jacket that and you're probably wearing multiple layers. But you know the jacket is designed to keep you warm. It's but then you 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 put a, a massive backpack on your back, so you've got a, a backpack on top of a very effective jacket to keep you warm. That as well, you probably have two layers. So all of a sudden, you're you're, you're overcompensating your back to, to to stay warm, and so your back is going to be a whole lot hotter. And then when, when you get hot, you sweat. And the last thing that you want to do in cold climate is sweat. Uh, absolutely. I was th- just thinking like, <clears throat> you guys have probably thought of this already, but um, I was thinking of um, other purposes for it. Like you could take it off your pack and sit on it instead of carrying a, a foam thermolite or a thermorest. <laughs> you could, you know what I'm saying? It's like what other purposes could this thing provide actually? aside from uh, being a spacer. So. Well, so so far I found that you, you can you can use it as a pillow. You, obviously you can wrap it with probably a, a jacket and it's a <laughs> pillow. Um, you can obviously you can sit you can sit on it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a second. Yes. Is it flammable? It is not flammable. So um, I have some questions about Sedona because I am a big hiker and I've been out there a um, couple times. I've been over to Oak Creek. I've gone up to, you know, obviously like the, the main tourist places like the Devil's Bridge. And um, I've been over to, I think, Mount Wilson and a couple of other places down over there. So can you talk a little bit about Sedona and from your perspective, especially coming from the Northeast? I think the biggest thing that I learned when I started hiking out there is that you need to reset your expectations around the distance. Um, you need to reset your expectations compared to the Northeast around like peak bagging. Cause there's really the hiking out there is really not about always about peaks. It's more about sort of getting to like sort of the lower sections of these different, um, you know, awesome viewpoints, but you're not going up to the very top 
of um, some of these places. But do you have any recommendations on hikes that you recommend in the Sedona area? Uh, absolutely. My first recommendation is to take very seriously the whole concept of uh, take a lot of water and uh, take be very cautious about the temperature. So um, it, it's very cool in the afternoon. Or I'm, I'm sorry, in the morning, early morning. But um, I mean, it keeps cranking up. The, 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 the heat is is a real factor. And um, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys know all this stuff as I and. It, it's something I had to learn as well. Is that I've I've found myself um, in places, you know, you know, you you're, you're you, you you quickly overheat and you quickly run out of water. So rule number one is take more water than you anticipate. Um, and then the second thing I would say is that there are, obviously it's Sedona, and if you haven't seen, I'm sure everybody's seen pictures of Sedona. It's absolutely beautiful. It's like you're going to Mars. It's it, it's uncanny. I'm trying to learn about the. Um, about the geology because it's absolutely incredible how the, how these massive rocks just kind of like pop out of the ground. But what I would recommend is that, I mean, there's a lot of tourists and, the, but what, what tourists tend to do is, is they just pick the big rocks that you, you kind of see once you, once you show up, but there are some really good hikes out there. Like last weekend I went to Mescal mountain. Absolutely fantastic. It, it's um, a lot of people know about, I think it's called devil's bridge. And that isn't too far away. I mean, if you want the iconic places, you can. But, you know, every view in Sedona is iconic. But I, I went to Mescal Mountain. There was practically nobody on the trail. And uh, it was fantastic. And you, you mentioned um, the village of Oak Creek. That's absolutely beautiful as well. So you have a whole lot of different options uh, on my website at vocluesgear.com. I do, because I'm trying to get the word out about my frame and how it works, I do. I do kind of uh, do a vlog, if you could, if you could call it that, of my different hikes. Yeah. And so, if you go, if you want to know about, you know, where, you know, where would you start in uh, in in Sedona? You can just go to my, you go to my website, and there's a, you click reviews, and I have a, I have a list of all my different hikes and what I do, and I, and I, I track everything on all trails. I track everything in Strava, so people can get an, uh, an understanding of what it is that I do. And what, what's out here? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely link that in the show notes. And um, Stomp, like, if you've never been out there, like, it is, like, my first day, I think I did the Devil's Bridge, and I did, like, I think Cathedral Raw. I forget the name of all the all the typical tourist ones I took the family to. But even those, like, three, four-mile hike Stomp, you're talking, like, two and a half, three liters of water. Like, I, we went in August, and, you know, we would get there like my I, I wake up, I go at five in the morning. I have no problem. But like I'm with my kids. So they're like, I'm not going anywhere until 10 o'clock in the morning. So, you, you know, Brees, by the time you get to 10, 11 o'clock in the morning in August yeah. in Sedona, like three liters of water for four miles isn't like nothing. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's super dry. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, Brees, do you um with, with the... um. With the cool dry frame, are you manufacturing this locally? Like, do you? How do you do this? Were you doing prototypes with like three D printing, or how did that? How does that all work? Another great question. So, so we are at the right. Everything that we've done is three D printing uh, in the United States, and I've got some. I would actually out in Tennessee. I, I found some really um, it, it, this very good company to do it. But eventually, I would say in the next two to three months, we are gonna. Uh, manufacture them 
because 3D printing is very limited uh, quantity, but we're going to manufacture it also in Tennessee. So everything is made in USA, designed in the USA. Everything is USA. And um, we're looking, as I mentioned earlier, we're looking to, to reduce the weight already at six ounces. It's going to go down to four ounces. And there are competitors out there that a lot of, uh, you know, there are tons of different solutions for uh, trying to reduce sweat. And there are, there are other companies out there that provide, you know, accessories like mine is, but they usually weigh, it's funny, they either don't put the weight on their website. So that means it's heavier than people want, or it's, it's around 14, 15 ounces. So we're, we're in the end, we're going to be about four times lighter than what um, other uh, companies are doing. And then, um, yeah, so 3D printing, but then mass uh, injection molding manufacturing. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out. And then uh, the price on this, how much is it, Breeze? So right now, so right now we sell it for about 65 bucks. I'm giving everybody a $20 off. So it turns out to be $45. You know, is the price going to go down? Probably. Um, so that that's probably people are thinking, well, I'll just wait until the price goes down. Now, what, what I tell people is that if you buy it today and you're, you know, you know, and, and I know, you know, it's like any company, you, you make something, it's eventually going to get lower cost, lower cost, lower cost. When it does, the price does go lower. All of my customers that have bought it, I used to sell it for a hundred bucks. It's slowly going down because we're getting better. I email, I keep track of everybody. I email them. And then those people who have been part of this journey, um, I'm going to sell them the, the, the next rendition of the frame at, uh, at cost. So if you want to test it out and you want to take, you know, you want to enjoy, you know, what it has to offer now, you know, it's $45. Is it in the future going to be, you know, $39 or $29? I, I don't know exactly the price point, but I can tell you if you become a customer, you know, I'm going to email you and say, hey, we've got the new version. You know, the ad cost is going to be X amount of money. You get it for that. Got it. Interesting. And then I would imagine over time, you know, you're going to iterate on this. And I, I could think like, you know, it's sort of a one size fits all right now. But I would imagine that like, um, you know, it's it's optimal for a certain size backpack. Like I basically go between a, a 25 liter day pack, sort of one of those running packs. And then I use a 50, 55 liter hyper light backpacking gear. But it looks like it'll fit either one of those. Um, but does it have like an optimal size in your opinion? Great question. Right now, it's, I would say it's optimal for anything between, I would say, I know it's a, a large range, but anywhere from like 18 to probably 48. Um, obviously, the bigger your backpack, the more backpack you have on your back. So the frame is probably not going to protect 100% of your back. But as you alluded to, um, eventually there's going to be different size frames. You know, even people have asked, well, why don't you just create a backpack with the frame? These are all great ideas. And eventually, you know, that's, you know, my objective is to to help people sweat less. And so, you know, all of these things I would have never thought uh, months ago, but, you know, it's great to, you know, I'm building the community of sweat and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I'm not a sweaty guy, but Stomp is. So I knew that he was going to jump all over this. (laughs) (laughs) Super, super sweaty. So that's great. Yeah. It doesn't take much. All right. So is this strictly on an online purchase or is this available at certain vendors or 
A great question. Right now, it, it, it's all it's all off of my website, and then eventually, you know, we'll we'll do the okay. classic things of going on Amazon, etc. But right now, it's um, you know, it, it's word of mouth. It's on Instagram, and it's uh, it, it's on my website. Gotcha. But you know, it, what I enjoy is you know meeting people. I, like I'm, I enjoy being on your podcast, and you know, it, it's you know, like I said. Uh, I, I'm relatively new to the backpacking community because 20 years ago I, I hung my uh, backpack because I just didn't like sweating. So uh, little by little, I'm, I'm getting to meet people and, um, you know, I, I, they're teaching me a whole lot more. Obviously, I'm talking a whole lot about my 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 backpack frame, the the the, the cool, dry air uh, frame. But it, 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 it's, it's speaking to people like you that, that tell me, like, you know, I, I don't I don't hike the northeast. And so I'm learning about, you know, you know, what, what it takes to be climbing the peaks that you, know, you guys are doing, the temperatures, you know, it, it's a whole different yeah. world. And um, it's something that, you know, like I said, I, I, I would have never learned or, or known about had I had I not started this. That's excellent. Well, we're glad to help and we're glad you came on. I mean, it's very interesting. I think there's a market for it up here in the Northeast. And, um, you know, um, advise some of the listeners to go check it out because it's very, very cool. Um, the website at the moment, let me just spell it out. We'll add it to the show notes, but um, it's www.vauclusegear.com. One word. So you can check it out there. And um, well, well, Stomp, if, if I can, if I can f- f- flip this uh, podcast and ask you questions, you like, like, you know, you're, you're, sure. you're, 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 you're the sweater of the, uh, you know, of the duo. Like, <laughs> like, so, so what's, like, Thanks. So what's it like backpacking up in the Northeast? Like, like what are the sweat problems out there? Oh boy. Um, well, winters is the super problem as you alluded to. Um, you have to be very careful with ventilation, making sure that you're getting that energy and condensation out of your inner layers and uh, being very mindful of that. But I can tell you right now, um, we had a weekend that was unusually warm up here, but it was still, you know, in the sixties and, you know, you just, once you're wet, you're wet. And if you don't have that extra clothing to change out of um, at this time of the year in the fall, you're going to get in trouble because your your clothing is wet and it stays wet. So um, the idea of minimizing the amount of uh, water and condensation that gets on your clothing is just fantastic. And I think in the Northeast too, like the most common mistake I see newer hikers make is they'll start off at the trailhead. You know, it's cold. It's 20 degrees or it's 10 degrees on the trailhead and they'll start off with all of their gear put on. Yeah. And then they get like a mile up and, you know, we're we're usually going like we don't have switchbacks or anything. So we're going up pretty quickly and people sort of just get into a mode where they're like, all right, I'm moving pretty good. I feel okay. I'm starting to sweat a little bit, but they wait and they wait and they wait before they take their layers off. And the newer hikers don't know to sort of start cold. Like, don't start with all your gear. Start cold. A product like yours, you could have that as a separator. And then within within like a quarter mile, half mile, you've warmed up. And then you're optimized. But I think a lot of people start off with like too many clothes in, in cold weather because they don't like to be cold standing still in the trailhead. And they're getting dehydrated all the same, too. So the, the hydration issue is just as relevant up here really? in the more humid climates versus the drier climates down south where you are so absolutely yeah okay and, yep. and and so out of 
and again, I'm, well, I'm, I'm not a search and rescue guy, but he, so he is like, where does, where does like sweat and the whole problem of sweat fit or rank in, 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 in as one of the problems of people getting in trouble uh, out on the trails? Oh, sure. I mean, mid, midsummer, even in winter, less, less occasionally, you have dehydration, you have muscle cramping as a result because you're losing electrolytes, potassium, magnesium, all that good stuff. Um, you're just unable to continue on. So that's one of the biggest problems. Yeah, I mean, the deadly combination you have is that, you know, whether it's sweat or you're just like, you know, you fall into a snow or whatever happens and then if you for whatever reason you have to stop and then you're wet and a lot of times people will get in trouble because they don't have ground insulation so that's why a product like yours like combining it with ground insulation or having some way where you can um, keep yourself off the ground and have it be you know give some insulation factor in colder weather would be huge because I carry a separate um, closed cell like thermorest pad in the winter is something like this would be nice where, you know, you've got it for your separations for your back sweat. And then if you're going to sit down, if it gave you some R factor insulation, then it's just one, one piece that serves two purposes. And it's, it's pretty light. Like I think like you've got the good weight component to it. Like anything more than six ounces, you're going to get people that are going to say, nah, it's too heavy. Um, I'm not interested, but if you're, if you're topping out at six ounces and then going down to a lower weight, a lot of people will take a chance on it to say like, yeah, it's, it's light and, it's worth, you know, it's worth the money to just try it out and see how it goes. Um, I mean, we're probably coming to the end of the segment, but we'd love to have you back on anytime and just give us updates and, you know, we'll plug the site. We'll keep our listeners posted. And if you have anything new, please let us know because it's a very cool product. Well, well, thank you very much guys for having me on. And I will definitely be uh, staying in tune with, with you guys and giving just regular updates. But all right, brother, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And we are back, Stomp. So what do you think? You going to use that thing or what? I think I'll give it a try because I am one sweaty dude. You are, you are like that's. The, 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 this was made for me. I knew like when you you heard like an anti sweat thing that you're going to be yep. all over that because you're just disgusting. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it's going to stick. I really do. I think. This is a business that uh, is, has potential, and I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so very cool. He was a nice fellow too, so I'm, I'm sure we'll hear more from him. Yeah, I think the price point's pretty good. Yeah. I think um, the weight is pretty good. It's worth a try. It's. I think the product to me seems like it'll be better served for maybe the smaller packs to start with, but um, you know, I'll check it out and try it and, and let everyone know what, what I think. So awesome. It'll be good. Sounds good. All right, so moving on to recent search and rescue news stuff. Just because my voice is gone here, why don't we just do the local news and we'll push the national stuff to the next episode? Is that yeah, cool with you? Or is great. there anything that you... Okay. Yeah. So um, the first story we have here is this one came over yesterday. This was a technical dog rescue on Mount Morgan. So uh, the Holderness New Hampshire Fire Department and uh, Campton Thornton Fire Rescue and the Sandwich Fire and Rescue responded to Mount Morgan near the summit for an animal rescue. So these were the fire department's 
um, coming in for the call. So the crew was advised that a dog had wandered off trail and had become stuck on a ledge about 25, 30 feet below the trail with no easy access. So the owner was standing by to keep the dog calm, but um, Mm -hmm. the the crews had to get in there and basically carry in a rope rescue and set up their equipment to set up this system for one rescuer to make um, access to secure the dog. So... um, there was some additional personnel that carried in some equipment to set up a second system. So eventually they got like a couple of people to bushwhack their way over to this lower trail to, to catch the dog as it came down. So yeah. um, rescuers were out on a ledge. So it was pretty sketchy, um, but the dog ultimately was secured in a harness. Um, there was some additional webbing, I guess, on this thing. And once the dog got to the ground, the dog and the rescuers made their way down the trail. The dog's name is Titan. Titan is a very bad boy. Um <laughs> But there's some great pictures that we'll include of uh, of the rescue because it was at night. Do some research research about this, Mike. Maybe you can find them and get them on because I know we did uh, Odin. That was a really nice story. Yeah, so this yeah. might be fun too. Yeah, I'll, I'll do some digging and see. We we see we have a pretty good streak <laughs> of getting dogs in, but uh, Titan seemed pretty happy. There's some good pictures of like him with all the fire department and stuff. So Titan yeah. got a little wild, but he's 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 okay, which is good. So. Um, Super cool. Yep. Next one. Hats off. Yeah, hats off to the fire departments. Yeah, that's that's very nice of them to come out. Mm-hmm. All right, so next one is uh, November 4th. I feel like we... No, we didn't do this one. So this is November... On November 3rd, Fishing Game was notified that a hiker had sustained a lower leg injury while descending the Imp Trail. Um, so 63-year-old gentleman from New Hampshire was almost done with his attempt to complete a loop hike um, that started at 19-mile brook trail so that's a long that's a long day coming down there especially if he hit like mount height or something Mm -hmm. um but on his way down the imp trail he slipped and injured his lower leg he tried to do a self-rescue before calling for help but ultimately couldn't couldn't continue so he had a hiking companion with him that called for help and andershagen valley search and rescue responded uh they were able to get to him pretty quickly and um, they reached him within 20 minutes, so it looks like he was probably pretty close to the trailhead. So, yeah. uh, trail. The call came in at 4:10, and they staged at like 6:05. Oh, they got him to the staging area at 6:05, and then he was whisked away in a in an ambulance. And all's well that ends well. All right. So, so before you need a search and rescue, let's just wrap up on this last one because this last one is great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Mount Israel. <laughs> Uh, this rescue utilizes a leaf blower. So I got, and it's not, I got like, I'm like a 10 people send me this one, by the way. They're like, Oh, did you see this? I was like, yeah, I saw it. Um, November 5th at 3 PM. Uh, it looks like all these di- <coughs> different fire departments, Sandwich, Moultonboro, Center Harbor, Tamworth, Tuftonboro, Meredith, Holderness, Ashland, uh, fire departments. Everybody. Stewart's Ambulance, Lakes Region SAR, New Hampshire Fishing Game, they all responded to a report of an injured hiker on the Wentworth Trail. Wentworth Trail's pretty gradual. You know, that's not a not a steep trail, so it's not a bad place, I guess, to get rescued. But the problem was is that the 42-year-old um, hiker from Nashua was about two miles from the trailhead, so that's pretty far in. So even though, yeah. like, that trail is pretty gradual, like, there's, like, these coals that you got to go through, and there's, like, a little bit of, like, open forest section. So tons of leaves in that area. So the the victim was unable to walk and was subject, subsequently carried in a litter to the trailhead, arriving around 7 p.m. 
The rescue was complicated mm-hmm. due to recent heavy foliage accumulation of oak and beech leaves. Uh, yeah, that whole area there is just wide open forest with a ton of trees. So I can yeah, only really imagine is. like leaves are just blowing around. Um, yeah. So somebody brought a backpack leaf blower to clear the trail of leaves for the first 1.1 miles to reduce slip hazards. <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine, Stomp, when you're... I think that's you're amazing. Carrying, you're carrying all that equipment. It's got to be dangerous, right? Oh, hell Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can't see your feet below you when you're carrying. So there's somebody directly in front of you or behind you, but you cannot see your feet, generally speaking. So if it's slippery and and covered with leaves, then you're in deep trouble. That's why we all get a little nervous when there are calls this time of the year. Yeah. So a leaf blower, how cool. A leaf blower. So, yeah, it wasn't the guy from the AT, but it was some, you know, one of the fire department guys had a pretty good (laughs) idea. So that's that's pretty cool. And I'm sure the hikers the next day were pretty happy to have their trail um, nice and blown out for them. Yeah. All right, man, we made it. We made it through. All right, man. I appreciate the audience sticking with me. It's been a rough day, but I'm going to go ahead and get some medicine and go to bed. Yeah, man. Thanks for sticking this out and... uh... We will be back. Happy birthday, Stomp, and we will catch you. you in episode 83. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know where they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 